What's up, Beardos? You're listening to a classic episode of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. Uh, not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you are just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes where? At thebeardvegans.com. And you can always reach <laughs> us by emailing what? Thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we conclude our winter break interview series with a classic interview from the archives as we bring back Ramaganesan to discuss whether or not nonviolent communication makes for effective vegan advocacy. Paul, in classic Beard Vegans format, I feel like we've gone off the rails before we even finished the introduction. <laughs> yes. Yes. Stay tuned for the bloopers after <laughs> after this episode as I struggle to say what's up, Beardos, about seven times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I love what happens when we record four introductions in a row and we have to get creative with our enunciation and inflection and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I feel like it's not going to make sense to anyone that's listening to this, you know, weeks apart. And they're like, why is the, Why are they being so silly right at the beginning? But it's because we've been doing this for a while. Yeah. This is the fourth time in a row. <laughs> Indeed. So, Paul, mm-hmm. we have a message from the past, and that is Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's. Yeah. Hopefully December was all right for everybody. We don't know how it turned out for us yet. <laughs> hopefully all right. The first six days going okay. Yeah, and hopefully, Andy, I'll be hanging out with you yesterday on New Year's Day? I don't know what this hopefully business is, but <laughs> but definitely, but definitely, definitely, definitely hanging definitely. out yesterday. Maybe we're still hanging out right now. Who knows? Hopefully. I can, I can dream. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, Paul, for the final mm-hmm. time, what's going on here is we are doing a winter break series where... We have recorded a bunch of episodes and interviews in advance so that we can take a month off or sort of a month off to relax, recuperate, work on what we need to do, come back in the new year, which is right now, refreshed (laughs) and reinvigorated for another delicious, delicious year of vegan podcasting. (laughs) And so we, we, we decided to take this opportunity to interview some people that we think are really doing awesome things in the vegan world and the animal rights world. And we also said, you know what? For Christmas and New Year's, we really just straight up want to take the, the, those weeks off. So we are going to do some classic interviews. We're going to bring back some ones from the archives that we feel like people need to hear, things that bring us joy, and and dust them off and refurbish them a little bit, maybe do a little re-editing, tighten some things up, hopefully make the sound quality better uh, than it initially was, which is what we have done with this this final interview in the series with Rama Ganesan. So, Paul, mm-hmm. uh, let me ask you this question. I chose last week's episode. I chose last week's interview, and you chose this week's interview, so... Tell me why bring back this interview, which is all the way back from episode 31. So, Andy, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't I don't remember how we got connected. I mean, I'm assuming we reached out to her and and I don't remember what it was that spurred us to to reach out to her. I I feel like it must have been we saw an article that she did about nonviolent communication and we were like, wow, this is awesome. We should reach out and 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 have this person bring their perspective onto our show. But that's all exactly that I do, what happened. <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> all that I do know, well I apparently I know that too. But all that I know is that that I th- this was not something that like nonviolent communication, that sort of advocacy was not something that I thought about a lot. It was not something that was on my radar, but after this interview, it has been something that, that consistently throughout the show and consistently throughout my life, you know, I, I, I constantly find myself thinking, 
like does this align with nonviolent communication and and how how can I be a better speak like how can I communicate better with people both in advocacy and in real life and that's something that is is a big part of my identity is is trying to become a better person and and a big part of that is is how we communicate with each other and learning to communicate better and 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 it's just something that's so crucial and so important. And I feel like more people should be talking about this. And, and, and Rama is one of those people that's talking about this. And, and yeah, it's just been like you mentioned, like you've mentioned Andy, that this is like a, a, a formative, this was a formative episode for me, for my personal life and for my podcast life. <laughs> so that's, that's why. Yeah. I remember Rama wrote an article that was, I think titled is, nonviolent communication, effective vegan advocacy. And I read it, thought it was really interesting, sent it to you and you were really stoked on doing an interview. So this is, is this possibly the only interview that the two of us have conducted together like via Skype? Because most of our interviews are conducted by either one of us individually one-on-one. But this one, I know at that point, I think I had done all of the interviews and you were so jazzed on it that we made the point for me to come up to your place an hour long drive (laughs) so that we could record it together. An hour long drive is nothing for you, Andy. I think we've done the, the vegan warrior princess attack. Maybe we did those together as well. Oh, that's true. I mean, I don't really consider those interviews, though. Those are more like a collaborative episode. And maybe yeah. maybe that's just a semantic difference. But um, <laughs> I sort of put them in a different category. Well, Andy, under your under your strict criteria, I do believe that this was the only interview <laughs> that we've done together. So and, and I'm very glad that we did do this one together because I, I think this was it, like I'm glad that we both experienced this. Yeah, definitely. And so I hope that the listeners get something out of this. I know like you've mentioned this is an, an interview that we reference relatively often. I think as much as any interview that we've done, this is one that we sort of give a callback to. And on our anniversary episodes, we talk about our favorite episodes and, and whatnot. And I think this interview usually comes up from both of us as ones that we really mm-hmm. appreciated and really enjoyed. Yeah, definitely. I think that if we had, if I had to think of an episode that's not an interview that we cite the most often, it might be the Backfire Effect episode. I think that's another one that mm-hmm. we view as like really formative. I don't, I don't know, if, Paul. Do you think we'd ever like bring back a classic just episode episode? I don't. Something about that seems cheaper than bringing it back an in interview for some reason. You know, I don't think that that's cheaper only because after last week's revelation to me, Andy, that that our episodes get deleted or they're not deleted, but our episodes past the most recent 100 don't show up on iTunes. I feel like it might be worth revisiting some of them. Maybe this is what we'll do next year for our winter break (laughs) next year. We'll we'll revisit. You know what might be cool? You know what might be cool? Maybe we won't even we'll do this sooner than 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 a whole year away from now, what might be cool is to revisit some discussions, like maybe just have the talk a second time, something that we feel like we have a different opinion on than maybe when we talked about the first time and not, not necessarily playing the whole episode again, but just having that discussion again. And then maybe that little retro series could end with us bringing back a couple discussions like the backfire one that we do think is really important and that we do still feel the same way about. So maybe something like that. Well, I think this idea is ripe for us to finally do what we've been wanting to do, which is offer commentary tracks for our own episodes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that would be so silly. And I, it's just not for me, so I shouldn't I shouldn't crap on it. But I always think it's silly when bands do commentary tracks on their own music, and I'm like, I don't want to hear you talk about the music over the music. I just want to listen to the song. Oh man, I I actually love that. I love hearing like about bands' creative process and all that stuff. I've I've been thinking about doing that for my old band actually, which I bet you would what? listen to, Paul. Oh, of, of course I would, Andy. <laughs> but. Not that I don't like to hear bands talk about that kind of stuff. I do really like that, but just not over the song. Well, over the song is different. I think that like commentary tracks for bands, this is so <laughs> off topic, <laughs> should be song plays and then commentary track plays. You know, like because often you can talk about the making of a song for longer than the length of a song. You're right. I, I think that that would be an appropriate format. 
With that said, Paul, before we get to this interview, just want to say thank you to everyone for a, an amazing 2018. Uh, if you want to help support the podcast, just go to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo. That gives you options for a one-time donation via PayPal, recurring donation via Patreon, which gives you can give you early access, can give you merchandise, definitely gives you some bonus episodes that no one else has access to. And also a link to our merch store up there at thebeardvegans.com slash beardo. So um, you can do that thing if you want to help us out. All right. So with that said, Paul, let's get (laughs) – I want to say let's get right to this interview, but I think we've bantered for way too long. Uh, Let's get to this interview with Ramak and Asan. All right, our guest today is Ramag Nason, who we brought on to discuss her article is Nonviolent Communication, Effective Vegan Advocacy. Ramag, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Cool. And so before we actually start to talk about that article, we just want to learn a little bit more about you. And I noticed that in your bio at the end of the article, it said that you are a former vivisector. So it seems like quite a journey from, from vivisector to vegan. So, you know, what did your vegan journey look like? Right. So um, I was, yeah, definitely a vivisectionist. I learned how to be um, an animal experimenter back in college. So about 19, 20 years old, um, impressionable age um, where, you know, you really want to do well and do what other people tell you to do is is smart and good and scientific. So and um, I went on to do a, a Ph.D. as well. And, and I continue to do research in labs for all of my 20s, so almost all the way up until I was 30. And that was actually quite a long time ago. So it's true that I used to be a vivisectionist, um, but the last experiment I did was the end of 1992, okay? So that was a long time ago. So in some ways, I think of myself as being a completely different person now. Mm -hmm. But the reason I like to mention that is I can really understand, when I see these videos of people in factory farms, or uh, slaughter truck drivers, or even slaughterhouse workers, but that a little bit less. I can kind of understand how, why they are doing what they're doing. Um, when there's one um, video that really uh, brought this to mind is um, turkeys are, are in trucks and going to be slaughtered. And they're like roughly taking all the turkeys and throwing them in. And you think, oh, how can they do that? These are sentient beings, how can they do that? But I've been in a lab and for and, and you know for those workers these are units to be processed okay and for me it was the same they were the animals were data points and i was supposed to get a certain number of data points in a day and i had to be efficient and i had to do this and so i can understand how they're thinking and working that way so if somebody like that can have a, a, a change and think differently that's meaningful so I, that's why i like to mention it but I do not, I'm not one of those people who has nightmares about what I did. That's lucky. I know I've got in front of me is, uh, what, uh, is it uh, Martin, uh, Michael, Michael Slusher's book. Um, they all had eyes. I was, I, I bought it like a while ago. I, I looked at it, but I, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm nervous to really get into it. <laughs> and I know he has said that he has nightmares. And so mm-hmm. he wrote this book to try to resolve some of that. Um, so... Uh, but I'm, I, I'm not there. I mean, I, I, and that's a good thing. I, 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 uh, I, I do feel very bad, but I'm not in a position where I'm really, um, uh, you know, losing sleep and can't, you know, feeling really bad about it. I'm not there. I like skirt around the edges of feeling bad and then I'm okay. So that's lucky. That's lucky. Oh yeah. I actually just picked up that book and I'm, I'm also kind of dreading reading it. Although I feel like it will be really interesting perspective to take in uh-huh. and some of what he's writing about some of the scientific hypotheses and oh you know I'm like various combinations of lipids and growth hormone oh, formula you know it's like I just so identify I just so identify with that so yeah <laughs> cool and so at what point did you start to become aware of what veganism was how did that click for you what did that look like all right so um, my uh, son um, was uh, accepted into Duke University a few years ago, and their freshman reading, they have a common reading 
for all the incoming freshmen. And the reading for him was Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. Mm -hmm. So he read the book and uh, my daughter, who's a couple years younger than him, she read the book and I read the book. So we all read the book together. (laughs) And that was when it began, when I started to really understand what was going on. And uh, it took about several months to a year of doing research um, really thinking about animal issues, animal rights issues, and I became a vegan. So about a year after that. Wow. And so now you're involved uh, with Ethical Choices Program as a humane educator. That's um, right. Yeah. Tell us more about that and what that is, what that kind of work entails. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is a job that I've had for the last few weeks. Um, it's going extremely well. So um, Ethical Choices Humane Educators go into high schools. Um, We are trained to go into high schools uh, and to make presentations on various aspects of um, uh, animal use, um, specifically um, the ethics, you know, the inherent cruelty of it, also consequences in terms of health and the environment. Um, We tailor the presentations to different topics. And also they are tailored for the uh, high school age, um, again, usually the freshman age uh, for high schoolers. Hmm. And, uh, and what made you want to do that type of work as opposed to any other sort of outreach that you could do? Had you been previously doing anything else? Yes. Uh-uh. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I became a vegan like three and a half years ago. So uh, definitely I wanted to do something, some kind of outreach. Um, I became familiar. I mean, I did some work with the uh, Toronto Pig Save, uh, the Save Movement. Um, that was more of research that I did for them. Um, and I also became involved with uh, direct action everywhere. Um, so I, 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 for a long time, those were the those were the only two choices that I knew about as far as what can we do for uh, kind of grassroots activism when you're actually talking to, you know, the real world. I mean, I think a lot of people write um, and make podcasts like you. I mean, not a lot. Some do. I mean, a podcast, I mean, your podcast is for vegans already or mostly people who, who heard about what veganism is. But I think, you know, real activism is kind of talking to people who's, who've never heard of veganism, you know, who don't know what it is and introduce those issues to them. So I guess from a sales point of view, it would be like the very early stages of getting them aware of what's going on. Um, so that's the kind of thing I wanted to do. Um, but those were the only two kind of options. Um, I was also new here when I came here a couple of years ago. But yeah, I, ha- I was a participant in Direct Action Everywhere for a while. For me, I'm much happier doing what I'm doing now. In fact, ECP, I am thrilled with what we are able to accomplish. What is the difference for me? I mean, I think DXE does do great stuff. But for me, it was um, a lot of wheel spinning, a lot of effort that was unproductive. You don't know if a disruption is actually going to work out or it's even going to go through, uh, whether it's going to reach the right audience. Not only are we annoying non-vegans, which they, DXC says it's, you know, it's not our job to be popular, but we're also annoying vegans as well. And a lot of energy goes into justifying the tactics um, with other vegans. Um, but these are the problems that I had personally for me. I, as I say, I was, it was a lot of unproductive effort which I'm, I, I wanted to do something where I felt um, I was really reaching people. Like if I go to go to a school, whether the class is 10, 20, or luckily, you know, maybe 50 or 100 if it's an auditorium, I am talking to those kids. I mean, they are listening to me and I am getting through to them. So there's nothing about that that is unproductive. That's a really cool program. I, um, I actually teach high school myself and I would love to see if, do you know if it's in Connecticut at all? Uh, I'll look, you know, if you go to our, um, website, the ethical choices program, it'll tell you, we might have, um, right now ethical choices has 30, um, humane educators, uh, mostly around the East. Um, so Connecticut is a, is a very good possibility. Um, but some of the Midwest and the Southwest is not covered, but, um, uh, they are going to uh, hire more educators, um, by the beginning of next, next school year. So the fall, we should have about 60, That's 60 awesome. people. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, ECP is, um, both here in the U S and a little bit in Canada, but they're also hoping to, to expand to, uh, other countries as well. I mean, the wonderful thing about this is, you know, a disruption is 
you know what is it's it's annoying and and you it's meant to be annoying but it is annoying and to some extent they'll say you're not yelling but i was i was yelling on street corners but this when you frame it as education you are invited into the classroom mm-hmm. so and 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 they're and and i've only started just now but some of the other educators who've been doing it for a while they get educate they get in, in, invited back again for the next semester hmm. yeah so you know it's a totally different way of framing the message so you know if i could do this <laughs> why would i personally myself do something else you know yeah. that that i didn't feel was productive Definitely. There's certainly a, a stark contrast between those two types of activism, for sure, which is a perfect segue into the, the main topic that we wanted to talk about. And you wrote this article, you know, asking if nonviolent communication principles could be applied to our vegan advocacy work and what exactly that would entail and, and would we feel um, that it's being effective and, and all of these things. So we want to kind of mine that. And I guess... Before we before we even lay out how it could apply to vegan outreach, could you just explain for those that are not familiar what nonviolent communication is? Sure. So nonviolent communication is a program that was created by Marshall Rosenberg. I would say you know mostly eighties, nineties. Now he's been doing this work intensively um, in various parts of the world, in, including some war-torn areas as well, to bring some peace and to mediate between different factions. But it's basically a program to uh, improve communications between people. And so nonviolent communication is um, something that's like fairly new to me, even though reading through what exactly it was, there's a lot of things that I was like, oh, I, I do that. But there's yeah. a lot of things that I was like, I do not do that. And that <laughs> might be hard to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the vegan movement, um, obviously, there's so many different ways to, to do outreach and talk about the message. But I feel like in general, it kind of prides itself on being something that's like very rational and and uh, logic based and we have the facts and the science and statistics on our side and we can prove anyone wrong who disagrees with us and and nonviolent communication kind of takes a different approach and so I just kind of want to work through the article and the the different bullet points that you make and and expand on those things and then the first one you make is that uh, is don't judge non-vegans as wrong right which is it seems like a hard thing to do because we are we are here because we believe that it is you know killing animals unnecessarily is is wrong and and how do we not judge someone for doing that so um and and that's like one of the many things i know in the article you're kind of torn between some of these principles and like does this really mean we can use these uh, with our activism, but you know, why do you think it's important to to judge non-vegans or, or to not judge non-vegans, and and do you think it's even possible to do? Yeah. Um. So you know, I wrote it to, in fact, so that, that people can, in fact, ask me questions like this, and I can understand it more because you know, I I thought, well, wait till I understand it better, and then I can write about it, and then I I would probably never get there. So it's by talking to other people that I hope I will get to understand it. So. Yeah, I think since I wrote it, I, I've come more on the side of, yeah, you know what, this idea of not judging, it's really beginning to make sense to me. And um, th- But th- this is the very thing that Marshall even starts to talk about, his book, Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life. That's the very first chapter when he's talking about how we judge people. And I mean, you know, one example would be how vegans judge non-vegans or the use of animals. But he's talking about any type of judging. Now, And, and let me put it in a way that but Marshall doesn't put, Marshall Rosenberg does not put it this way as far as I know. But let me put it this way. Do you know what, do you know what the moral code of the universe is? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it might be do unto others or it might be that there's no moral code, but. <laughs> yeah, do unto, yeah, do unto others. Right. I mean, that's, that's about one, one I could come up with as well. Um, but, you know, do we know, is it room somewhere? <laughs> You know, all right, we can we can try to infer it. And I know there are reams and reams written by moral philosophers and now psychologists. So, yeah, we can we can talk about that. But I, what I'm trying to get at is there is something we know for sure. And that is what we feel or or that we feel. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know that we feel 
But what we feel is another thing. To know what we're feeling, I think you really have to turn around and pay attention. And some of us don't. I mean, the way our society is doesn't really teach us how to do that or even approve of things like that. So we know what we feel. And then that those feelings are an indication of what our needs are. So I think that what you can be sure of, I don't know what the moral code of the universe is. I don't know. I mean, that is the case. I don't know. I could read the books, but even still, that would just be being up in my head and thinking about it. But what I do know is what I feel. So, and when we have, we understand what's happening with animals when we open our eyes to it, and we know, we feel, you know, that this is oh, unjust, you know, we have, and, and this, uh, we are um, saddened, um, heartbroken, heartsick. Um, we have all these feelings, right? I mean, uh, NBC has a list of feelings. So and these are some some um, fundamental feelings that we have, and we, we can infer that we have certain needs, and um, our, our needs are to um, try to address those feelings um, in some way. And so, yeah. I was going to say, this is, um, it reminds me of, in a, in a pretty recent episode, we talked about, we looked at this article that was kind of making the argument that if like atheists, all atheists should be vegan. And it was the argument that it made was that if you're not, and this reminded me of it when you were talking about like, where do we get this universal moral code? And they were saying, well, if you're not getting the moral code from some higher power, then you have to be getting the moral code from lo- like logic and everything is logical and, and logic, if it made a bunch of like logical arguments that led towards veganism. And it's funny because this is such a stark contrast with nonviolent communication where it's like, they're saying your moral code is coming from logics. And yeah. then, and now this is kind of, um, promoting more that it's coming from feelings, which right. is kind of cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I can. I don't know who you had on the program, but that's also something I've thought a lot about, um, you know, the atheism and vegan, you know, the, 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 the new atheists and whether they should be vegan and whether Sam Harris should be vegan, things like that. So I've thought a lot about that and I can... Um, I don't think they, you know, well, we're not, we haven't been very successful in making Sam Harris go vegan. He's not very happy about it. Um, even, <laughs> in the last, even in the last AMA, and this is kind of what I predicted, but I'm not even happy about being right. But he starts off saying, I have a cold, probably because I'm on a vegetarian diet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. So, yeah, but I, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying, Paul. Um, I hadn't realized that, but that's true. But from the, from the NVC point of view, Okay. Mm -hmm. From the NVC point of view, that is what we have. I mean, we have observations, we have feelings, we have needs, and we can make requests. That's, that's the NVC steps, a process that we follow. In the article, there's the quote, uh, judgments are said to be a reflection of unmet needs of one's own. And I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Right. (sighs) Judgments of unmet needs of one's own. Well, yeah, I, I can. I can. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, okay. I, so let's talk about veganism. So I have a need, you know, to uh, these animals are, are like, I am sad and I, I'm very upset about this whole thing. And I can uh, try to talk to people about it. I can express those feelings. And that's something we might want to address later. Not everybody can expre- express feelings because those are very vulnerable feelings. Right. So I can talk about those things. I feel very comfortable saying I'm heart sick or I'm, I'm um, depressed or distressed. I can, and I, I, you know, I feel um, I'm crying. I can say all of these things. Not everybody can say that. And then they have to express themselves in some other way. I mean, they're, they're going to have to turn around and, and blame somebody else or judge somebody else because they can't cut, get in touch with their own feelings. So judgments are, un, yeah, unmet needs of one's own. I mean, there could be various things. I mean, what I just mentioned is perhaps people aren't turning around and looking at their own feelings. Um, it could be other things as well. You know, we want to be effective in our advocacy. We want to be understood is also another thing. Um, if we're not getting there, then uh, instead of looking at that need, we are uh, judging somebody else, which is actually a block into getting in touch with our needs. Um, and uh, to back it up just a little bit, you're talking about Sam Harris and the AMA and, and being right and not necessarily necessarily feeling great about it. Um, something The next thing you kind of touch on in the article is to not focus on winning or being right or having the other person be wrong. Right. And that is, it's, it's like something that feels great, you know, when you're like, I proved that person wrong, but it's always in the back of my head. It's like, is that really effective? And I I have learned that like in my outreach that like 
you can sort of just like just riddle someone with information and the truths and like you can just like totally knock them out with all all this like how wrong they are but then then they and even in the moment they might be like oh you're kind of right but then they kind of get up and they dust it off and and the next day they're just like that guy was a jerk and they don't really like listen to (laughs) to to what you have to say so i think when people have genuine questions I think it's okay to explain. Um, and um, Sherry Kolb talks about this in her book. So, you know, she has 13 questions and a, like a couple that I can think um, off the top of my head are the plants have feelings one and the one about, um, I think the other one is about abortion. So, yeah, I mean, she goes into and she tells you what's going on in the mind of the non-vegan. And and so um, these, I mean, when somebody says, do plants have feelings? And we hear it and I get so annoyed. I get so annoyed. Um, <laughs> But, you know, sometimes they are really asking, you know, they really want to know how, how is it, well, we're not supposed to eat animals, well, where, how, where do we draw the line? And so, you know, we, I just explain it. I'll say, well, you know, plants, they don't, they don't have no nervous systems, they can't register pain, they don't have pain receptors, and, and furthermore, animals eat, eat plant, animals eat plants, so we, in fact, uh, cause more plant cruelty, if you believe that plants feel pain, uh, by, by eating animals that eat plants than eat the plants themselves. So, yeah, I actually explain that, and people have thanked me. Okay, mm-hmm. so I mean, I still get annoyed, but I'm, <laughs> but that's kind of what Sherry Cole was saying in her book too. So you know, so I'm not saying it's wrong to really address the question if you need, if that's what they need. I guess the point is when you really feel like you have to, um, you know, beat the other person and prove that you're right. And you mentioned a little bit about that, Andy. You know, say like, I want to, I want to, I want to come out of here victorious. And I, I mean, I really want to like squash that person and make them completely wrong. And I got one today who was totally annoying. Like I said, <laughs> I was saying something like, "Oh, you know, I know why are people." This, this is another article that I was that's um, that somebody else wrote about how uh, cities need to, how will they become plant based or, or or abandon meat as they need to for the future. And uh, this guy and I. I said, well, you know, I saw all these responses saying, oh, my gosh, we can't give up meat. I was like, well, you know, we come from a culture that's vegetarian, so I can't even understand why, you know, I don't know why. Well, I do know why it's hard, but I I, I don't think it's hard, personally, to give up meat because I never ate meat. But, other, I, but I do understand how other people can feel that it's impossible not to eat meat. I mean, they grew up here in the USA. They have three or four meals. Each one of them has animal product. I mean, each one of them might even have meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tell them to go vegan. They really don't know what to do. And, you know, even if they believe your arguments, might even happen occasionally, they need a lot of hand-holding. And if I tell them to go look it up on the Internet, they don't appreciate that. You know? I mean, I'm sure that a lot of vegans do, in fact, look things up. and They, they just teach, them, teach themselves. But... But the, on the other hand, others um, do do need some sort of, you know, do this, do that, make this. So, you know, I, f- I focused a lot or thinking more about doing real hands-on demo demonstrations, classes, you know, in, in, in my community. So um, because I, it, it looks to me that that's kind of something that people really um, do need. Um, I think a lot of ways in which you're fighting with people, you say you go vegan or you're not going to go vegan. They say, no, well, bye bye. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> well, where do you go from that? You know, maybe they think about it. Maybe they don't. But if you keep the lines of communication open, then you can occasionally tell them one thing or the other. You know, some of these things are going to directly benefit their health. Yeah, that's that's so that that's that's what I'm thinking about when you're saying when you're doing this uh, question answer and, and you know arguing and who's going to win and you beat somebody. <laughs> you, you, do you end up you don't end up with a relationship? Right. Yeah. And NVC is about relationships. So, um, when you're doing, like when you're working in the high schools, because I know, like I've, I, all the, all my students know that I'm vegan and they ask me questions a lot about it. And, um, even if I'm not like trying to get them to go vegan, they always come at me with like the classic non-vegan arguments like, oh, well, plants have feelings and, and all that kind of stuff. So I imagine that when you're doing, when you're working with the students, you use like a lot of these NVC kind of kind of techniques, but if you only have like however long your presentation is and you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily able to make like a personal connection with the individual people, how do you kind of 
uh, apply these theories um, in that in that situation? Right. So there are two different questions. We can come back to you. <laughs> so what, you uh, what what I might suggest you do, I yeah. don't know. But with respect to what we do, um, so yeah, we do uh, presentations, 45 minutes, 90 minutes. And in fact, I've gotten the 70 minute presentations lately. And um, they, they are pretty um, fast paced. I mean, they go through a, um, some inf- a lot of information and um, most, I mean, almost all of the students, all the classes, I should say, have been very engaged. They all want to talk about it and ask a lot of questions. The question, um, so uh, yeah, it is, so it's not like, they're, but they're not really getting, nobody's asked me, do plants have feelings yet? <laughs> I, now, on, in my presence, it could happen. We do get, I mean, I do get other things, like one person, will, as we start, he'll say, well, you know, we have to eat. And I say, yeah, hold on to that thought. And I will uh, I'll come back to it or, or you, can, you can ask me again later because, you know, we do talk about this. Um, you know, what else can we eat? So uh, we get back to that. So, yeah, I, I, so I would say you're right. And we don't we don't get asked a lot of questions. Uh, um, I'm thinking, I mean, I, I mean, I do know that over time the educators have had different sorts of questions. And I'm thinking, what is there anything that would be really annoying no, in the classrooms, I do, I have not been annoyed. I don't know why. <laughs> I find I do not find anything about it annoying. I find everything about it a gift. So it's just great. <laughs> it's not like the it's not like the internet. So um, yeah, I go in there and I speak to them. I mean, obviously, I mean there are some kids are extremely responsive. So yeah, I mean it's, so far it's been great. Um, I've, I've just started, but so there there could be more to. I've done seventeen presentations so far. So we'll, we'll see. You know, it's it's fast. You know, like there's I got a lot coming up over the next few weeks. So we'll see. But there was another thing that you said. I'm I'm forgetting. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is what I learned from NVC, and what they say is so whatever questions you know we tr- we address the questions, but if they're still being very Assistant, we'll say, well, um, uh, we are here to um, to educate you about the choices you have, so you can make choices um, according to your own values, according to your own values. So you know, we're here to educate you so that you can make choices according to your own values. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I mean, that's about all you can do. Uh, what What are we going to do? Beat somebody over the head and make them go vegan? Is that the way to make? I mean, not just the students, but anybody. Sam yeah. Harris, anybody. You know, is that what we're going to do? So, and and we say this. Um, and I learned this from NBC. I'm sorry, I learned this from ECP. And the other thing about NBC, which also relates in here, is that so things are always in terms of requests. It's never a demand. So it's always in terms of requests. So when I say, for example, I could say to myself, oh, my God, I have a need for the world to go vegan. Okay. now when you think, but is that really a need? That's not a need. I'm saying it's a need, but what it is actually is a strategy. Uh It's a strategy to get my needs met. So this is all NVC language, you know, so it's a strategy to get my needs met. So what are my needs? Well, my needs are for um, understanding uh, and, and to live in a shared world, a shared reality with other human beings. I mean, vegans are, what, 1%, 1.5, I don't know, 2 in the U.S., probably, uh, well, I'm not sure elsewhere, it varies. So we're, we're not, we're small. I mean, we can't really, uh, and, and um, I am part of humanity. I am not going to condemn everybody else. You know, I'm not going to condemn 99% of humanity. I'm part of humanity. I need to be part of humanity. So I have feelings. I, uh, you know, I try to determine what my needs are. I, I, I make requests and that's about all I can do. And that's, I would say, all we can do. I mean, we can push for policy changes, right? Yeah. Um, down the road. And um, especially if we have more numbers, yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, you're part of humanity, and that kind of ties into one of the other principles of having empathy for non-vegans, and just sort of, you know, the, the very obvious statement that we were all, or most of us, were once non-vegans, and that's something that we kind of um, battle with on the show a little bit. Is you know the the people that are saying like everyone who's not vegan should have this horrible thing done to them. And it's like, well, eight years ago, that horrible thing would have had been done to me by this. And look where we are now. And it's possible for people to change. Um, and do you, do you have any like advice for how to feel that empathy when someone isn't being receptive to the message? Well, let me say one thing about statements like that. And um, I've never, thankfully, I've never said anything that bad. But, you know, I know that other people have. But 
when you hear things like that, and I, this is, I don't know whether you watch the video that I, of, of Melanie Joy's that I linked in my article. It's a kind of a long one, but really <laughs> it's, uh, it's worth, uh, it's worth watching or listening to. Um, uh, it's really very good. Um, so, and she talks about trauma. So she says, Vegans like us, and a lot of us have gone through a certain trauma. She calls it, what is it, not, not PTSD, but secondary, secondary traumatic stress disorder. Okay? So it happens when you watch somebody else getting hurt. Okay? Secondary traumatic stress disorder. And that really resonates with, with me. Um, I definitely feel like I've been through some trauma, and it's because it's such a big thing that has happened to you and it's completely changed my life, you know, the last three, four years. And um, when I hear people say such things that you mentioned, I think they must have gone through trauma too, right? I mean, to come up with something like that, there must be a lot of hurt that those people are experiencing, which they're not turning in and looking on themselves. And they're just, you know, venting and they're looking in the wrong places um, to say, you know, I want all non-vegans to die a horrible death or, you know. So I think that's what I think. I think trauma, um, I, um, I think uh, that profound disappointment with humanity and, and, you know, having to be part of all this violence, complicit or we were or still be part of um, humanity, which is complicit in this violence. Um, that's that's traumatic. That's very hard. So so that's what I think. I feel I feel bad. And I, and I understand um, why they would say things like that. But oh, yeah. Well, I don't know about advice because I am so working on this myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is so hard, and um, but I would I would definitely and this is some a problem that I have is you're always looking outwards and you know turn around and look at yourself and find out what your needs are and how you can address your own needs and help your own um, uh, uh, mourning process having to come to terms that you know that what we have been part of and what um, the majority of humanity is still part of so understanding yeah and you know some of the examples that we've already talked about I think really um, you know like like the Sherry Kolb's examples and that those are really good I mean and, and, and some of the examples the, the examples that I talked about um, a little bit later in the article you know really think about why why people would say such things I mean I'm talking about non-vegans so for example I have vegetarian friends who will say you know they're, they're not interested in hearing anymore about veganism and that's something I said oh I don't understand them I literally said I don't understand them and somebody else came along and they told me a vegan told me well it's because they they don't they they're they're okay with enslavement but you know because dairy and eggs don't really kill animals they don't feel that they're part of killing it doesn't necessarily have to involve killing so that's the way in which they're thinking and i mean and that was interesting and that helps me understand vegetarians who won't go, who are you know ethical vegetarians but they feel they don't need to go vegan. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that being able to understand or even just thinking about it is a huge step towards feeling less angry and resentful and hostile because feeling angry and resentful and hostile is exhausting. Um, you can't be a good advocate if, if you're feeling that way. Well, I, I can't say that. I can say I cannot be a good advocate feeling that way. And I'm not, I cannot live my life feeling that way. So that is something that really does need to be addressed. So what do, you, what do you think we can do if we do know about like NVC and we know about how to kind of reflect upon ourselves? Um, what can we do to like promote this with other vegans who maybe are saying these sort of things? And like you said, maybe they have some like there's some things they need to work through themselves. Like what can we do? Yeah. And I, I do. I did. Know, and I also said this in the article. I mean, some of all you know, this stuff that you mentioned is does this happen in the real world or is it only on social media? I think it happens in the real world. Um, I mean, I think I think people are more comfortable putting it on so, social media, but I I do I would say. Yeah, yeah, and I do, and I maybe you're right because I do I do a lot of this the the um, enemy image building. You know, I think about something. Oh, why isn't she going vegan? I talk to her about this, and why isn't she? <laughs> so yeah, and I'm like totally like going through it, ruminating it over my head, and. I mean, and you know, the thing is, we can't even ask the non-vegans because they are so resistant and they have all this cognitive dissonance stuff and they have fortresses built up. You can't ask them to try to understand them because 
you you can't you can't even get any anywhere close to them. I, even the ones that are people that I'm close to and they're asking me for other favors, which is fantastic. But when it comes to things like their use, it's like no, <laughs> no. So what can you do? I think you basically is to think, and I and I talk a little bit about this in the article too, is to think about what could what could be their motivations for acting that way. You know, ultimately maybe it. You know, one of the things. You know, they have to admit that they have been wrong all their lives when they thought they were kind you know, nice, wonderful people. Um, this is all hard uh, for them. And um, it's also, um, there are also a lot of, some people are afraid to go vegan because they don't know enough vegans. I mean, I was, I never met any vegans until I became one. So for me, you know, I saw, for, somebody told me to watch Forks Over Knives and that was it, you know. And then I said, oh, great, fine. Then I have no qualms about going vegan. But others, they're afraid, you know, they think they're going to get sick. You know, they think they don't know enough. They don't see enough real vegans who are being healthy and thriving and, and, and living productive lives. There, there isn't enough of us around there. Right. And yeah, you mentioned the, the enemy images. And in, in the article, you say that they they poison our minds. And I actually have an interesting story about that. I was on tour doing outreach, doing pay-per-view outreach. So people watch a video about the treatment of animals on farms. Afterwards, you talk to them. And um, my tour partner had gone to the bathroom and so I was helping someone, you know, get set up on a screen and the person was just like, I just want a dollar. You're not going to change my mind about anything. You know, for me, if I was to enter that conversation, my expectations would have been low. Um, but my tour partner came back from the bathroom, like right as this person got off. And before I could go talk to them, she just jumped right into the conversation with the person and ended having, up having a really great conversation because she didn't have that expectation that this person's not going to change. They don't want to change. They're just here for the dollar. And, and that sort of taught me to, to never, you know, to, to always assume that someone is going to want to go vegan after they learn about this information. Obviously, that doesn't always happen. Uh, most of the time, it doesn't happen. But uh, it feels like that's sort of the, the enemy image concept just put into action right there that like, if you go into a conversation expecting to have a positive experience, you're way more likely to have that positive experience. And I wonder if you've ever had anything like that happen or if you could expand on the enemy image thing. Sure. I mean, um, I an, an experience like that just happened to me recently. I mean, some people are so good, and it need not necessarily people. I mean, so you think about it, it's interesting. I mean, I would, and I didn't say this. I mean, and I should have said it as a disclaimer to begin with. The reason I'm studying NVC is because I am a person who is so easily incited into anger, you know? And um, and like I say, a lot of the things I read on social media by other vegans just make me more angry with non-vegans. And, and, and it's contagious for me. So... Um, uh, and this, this is why <laughs> reading things like NVC, I find it useful just, just just so that I can try to to implement some things that um, make me feel a little bit more comfortable in my own mind and to go out and do um, calm and and kind um, um, advocacy. Sorry, so your question was about, sorry, <laughs> your question was about advocacy. Can you tell me what your question was again? I was just wondering if you've if you've experienced that the the poisoning of the mind with the enemy image and maybe you've talked to someone and not, you know, you've given them really low expectations because you assume that it's just not going to go well or what your experience is with that. Right. Yeah, you know, I know people who've watched all, you know, the movies that we tell them to watch. You know, they've watched Earthlings, they've watched Cowspiracy, they watch Forks Over Knives, but they won't go vegan. And then you get, you know, that's, and then you start thinking, what is going on? And are they, they are so willfully ignorant and they're, you know, all kinds of um, ideas about them. And I can, and... I, I, but I can tell you there are other people that I've known who, who before like, this person, she's not, she's a vegetarian. Well, why won't she go vegan? Why won't she do this? But then, and then that same person that I'm still meeting with and somehow completely dissolve that enemy image of her. And um, I see her as a great person who's doing great things. Um, and um, I really appreciate her. Uh, I think she's wonderful. So, you know, feeling that way about somebody, okay, she's not a, maybe she's not a hundred percent, but feeling that way about someone is so much better, not just way for me to live um, in my own mind, but also for her to be with me. I mean, obviously she's going to like being with me if, if I think she's a wonderful person and I do, you know, she's, she's going to, we're going to have a great relationship. We, you know, we will have a relationship. So that's kind of what, what I'm aiming for. Um, sometimes I'm lucky and I've managed it and other times I don't manage it and I, I have to still keep working on it. But th th this is it. I mean, the enemy image can, image can be 
dissolved. It can be. It, it does happen. Another thing you mentioned is um, sort of it's a fundamental premise of NVC that the needs of all humans are fundamentally benign. But it seems like you kind of struggle with if you think that's actually true or not. Right. Um, so, you know, you really have to understand what NVC me- means by needs. And, you know, there is a it's, it's, it's you know, you can, you can look it up and it says, you know, what are NVC needs? In fact, if you look it up in the book and it'll tell you, I mean, we have needs. They are needs for autonomy, celebration, integrity, interdependence, play, spiritual communion and physical nurturance. And those are it. Those are the fundament, fundamental categories of needs for NVC. And then there's other things that it could be, uh, you know, there are subheadings. For example, interdependence could be acceptance, appreciation, closeness, community, consideration, contribute, contribution to the enrichment of life to exercise one's power by giving that which contributes to life. So, so forth and so on. So these, when you, so you really have to understand what Marshall and the other NBC people are talking about in terms of what, what needs are. So, you know, as human beings, we are little specks and, and, you know, we have a strong need to be connected to other human beings. We're not, you know, omniscient or omnipotent. We go around telling people what to do and you have to do it. So, Sure. I mean, I, I think um, f- for the most part, I can see it, but I think it's the whole fundamental change in which we have to think about people, which, again, we really have to, I really have to struggle with because it's just not the way we're raised. It's not the way we're educated. It's the, not the way we communicate or we're taught to communicate. So when I was writing the article, I, I learned more about how a fundamentally and radically different way NVC is to um, relate to the rest of the world or to yourself. So it, it really starts very deep down. So it's not like something you can just, it's not a superficial thing. So you really have to think deeply about it. So yeah, the fact that I struggle with it, of course, you know, it's that this is what Marshall would say is it's it's a totally different way of, of you know, for example, uh, you grow up you, you grow, um, in school, right? You're you're supposed to be, you know, study and you and you're at top of your class. And and, and you know, but Marshall says, well, the better way to do it is, is for the person who understands the student who understands something first is to explain it to the other person. You know, that's a better way to do it. And then we get rewarded and we get punished. Different, and that's the whole reward and punishment structure of society. He'll, he'll say that that is not conducive to proper um, uh, compassionate uh, c- communication or or a fulfilling relationship. Okay, so the whole, the whole of our society is built on rewards and punishments. Absolutely, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then and then sort of the big question I think with all of this because a lot of it seems to make sense. Um, some of it at first is kind of like, huh, hadn't thought about that, but I think we can apply that to our outreach, but it also kind of feels like sometimes this stuff just sort of leads to moral subjectivity mm-hmm. and, and the, the like just understanding the other person's needs and not judging them and all of these things. And it, and on some level, that almost seems like it's totally at odds with doing outreach or trying to influence change or get people to change or open their eyes to whatever issue it might be. So, I mean, Marshall would say that this is the only way to to uh, accomplish um, um, social change, this is not this is not an I- impediment to social change. This is the, this is the only way to to really have um, sustained social change. Okay, so I mean he's Marshall, and and there's more to be. This is not explicit in his writings. I mean he's he didn't. He didn't actually write that much. I mean, he has three books, all of the three. I mean, that's that I've read, and and um, he's got um, a lot of books in German, which I haven't, but I think they might say the same thing. So, but um, but he, you know, he is obviously a big fan um, of of Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King. So he is he definitely believes in um, uh, nonviolent social change nonviolent strategies for for accomplishing social change. So he says that that this is the only way it can happen. Yeah. So did I, I think there's some part that I missed. So could you maybe ask me that question again? Yeah. Well, it's a, uh, it's a complicated question for sure. And, and just sort of pondering, does, does this lead to moral subjectivity? Mm, and, yeah, I guess, yeah. and that leads to the question, is this good vegan advocacy? Which is okay. the question so of the article. Here, yeah. So, yeah. So let's, yeah, let's, it does sound a bit like that to me. And I've even talked to some NVC teachers who make it sound like moral relativism. But, 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 I can, but then those people could be confused about veganism. Okay, so there isn't any, <laughs> what we need is a true vegan, and I think this could be out there, this person could be out there, a true vegan advocate or, or activist who practices NBC. 
Okay, and this is their number one priority, you know, so, you know, vegan activism has to be the number one priority, not NVC. Vegan activism has to be the number one priority. We need that. So maybe, you know, when this podcast or something else comes, you might find that person. Um, So moral relativism. Well, look, the question is, do we believe uh, uh, people's needs are all fundamentally benign, that we all want connection, that we all we all are all um, inherently compassionate. We do not want to see other beings hurt. We do not want to see people hurt. We do not want to see non-humans be hurt. Um, definitely not unnecessarily. And if that is the case. Then, um, then, then I think that uh, uh, if those needs are there, then the strategy is clear, right? I mean, some things have to be cleared out of the way. Like, you know, we, we do not need to eat animals for protein and we don't need milk for calcium or, or yeah. So those people have to understand that. But other than that, I, I, I think that um, once that way is cleared, that has to happen. I have a question. Do you think that, um, do you think that like the NVC uh, animal advocacy is kind of at odds with a lot of what the mainstream advocacy that we see now is kind of like what Pete, a lot of what Pete is doing or what DXC is doing. Like, do you think that those two things would kind of butt heads with each other? Or do you think that there'd be some way that these groups could adopt NVC without having to change like th- their entire, like the entirety of what they okay. do? Well, I think, um, um, I think it's probably more possible with some than others. PETA, I don't, you know, I mean, they don't even claim to be doing anything progressive. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so I mean, to, to go to talk to PETA about NVC seems a little bit incongruent. But let's take somebody like NVC. I mean, I, I'm sorry, with DXC. So, you know, we, so, you know, so for example, DXC, for example, they have written, uh, I mean, a lot of things they have said is aligned with NVC. Um, so, um uh, they've written a, some things about uh, restorative justice rather than retributive justice. You know, not not punishment, but but uh, rehabilitating and, and uh, with um, people. So I mean, those are those are pretty. You know, not 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 rewarding and punishing, but you know, that's so. It's very much aligned with NBC. But there are things that that um, DXC says which don't fit. I mean, for example, Wayne Shung has written saying um, animal use is wrong. It is wrong to use animals, which is not as same thing as saying. You're immoral, but uh, for using animals. But within within NVC language, it would still it still it would still be violent language because uh, it's still a kind of a judgment. Um, so yeah, I think that yeah, DXE is 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 got some things um, that could be close. I mean, I do think uh, the other things about DXE is a lot of people who do DXE are angry. Okay, they they are using DXE, and I can say that from 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 my own point of view as a way to vent their anger, and that. Um, would not be a good thing, uh, would not, was probably not likely to be um, efficacious, but not everybody in DXC. I think, I think only some, I think some people have been, um, they're not angry at all. I mean, they, they do it um, because they, they believe that this is the way to do it and, and they are um, uh, great about it. And so uh, um, they've had, they've had good outcomes. So I don't think that it applies to everybody. So yeah, DXC has um, some things in common. Um, now, also, um, when you read some deeply <laughs> into some of uh, Gary Francione's work and some of his moderators uh, or, you know, previous moderators have written, there are things that are quite aligned with NVC, actually. When you read his five principles, they seem aligned with NVC. Now, I'm going to um, mess up trying to remember the five principles. But, yeah, he'll say something like, um, uh, we, you know, we believe everybody can become vegan and people do care, things like that. You know, it's not, you know, they, you go in with a good attitude. Uh, people people will, will make positive changes. So those those things that they've written are really good and aligned. But but then they, the way they go about doing things, um, social media, uh, the memes, the memes that they put out, they don't they don't seem to be aligned. So I'd say that there are very, very good things there, which I can probably send you some when I go look it up. But yeah, when I was reading through some of that, that I saw some things that I thought were aligned. Um, so yeah, we have DXE, you've gone through um, uh, Francione. Who else, Peter? Who else can we think about? I mean, yeah, um, I, I think a lot of other groups probably... Um, I mean, some people who have been very judgmental are, I mean, individuals who've been judgmental. Um, I think um, some people who I consider vegan leaders, when they say something judgmental about non-vegans or, or uh, um, you know, the, the, the Tyson CEO or um, 
they say something very negative, very judgmental, they're going to get a lot of positive feedbacks from vegans, current vegans. Um, they're going to get likes and shares and things like that. So they're getting a lot of um, validation, okay? So these vegan leaders are getting a lot of validation from vegans for being judgmental about you know, the, the CEO of Tyson or, or some other people or even just other kind, maybe even people who ought to be vegan, like, you know, Bill McKibben ought to be vegan, you know, uh, uh, Naomi Klein ought to be vegan, so forth and so on. You know, the Dalai Lama has to be vegan. So, um, they, so, so they, but, but, you know, the rest of us who are not, I don't consider myself a vegan leader because, well, not like them, because I'm not leading other vegans. I am talking to non-vegans. I'm talking to non-vegans and telling them about veganism. So if I use that same strategy, that's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. It works for the vegan leaders who are talking to vegans. They're getting validation for that, but that's not working for me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's something I struggle with um, with my, my t-shirt company is kind of, there's been times where I've come up with like a message or a slogan and I'm like, oh, vegans will love that and they'll buy a ton of it. But is it just going to get them a pat on the back from other vegans? Is it not going to start a good conversation? Um, so, so yeah, I definitely I feel that that that's sort of this echo chamber that happens within veganism a lot of the time. Yep. The echo chamber is. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? <laughs> that we only, we're only talking to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to be careful. With that. And it's hard because um, sometimes I feel like getting your needs met means surrounding yourself with people who can understand the that secondary trauma that everyone's going through. But also, if you want to affect change, that means getting out in the world and dealing and talking to people and understanding and showing empathy for people that do not agree and are not already on board with veganism. And it's a tough line to walk. That's exactly right. I mean, I, for me, I think it's in, it, the real world is nicer than, than social media. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I mean, the people I meet, I mean, they're not, I mean, like, like I was talking about, even today I was just writing something and he said, can you read? Yes, I can read. You know, I know how to read, you know, how rude, but I mean, nobody would say that to me in real life. You know, they wouldn't. So, um, yeah, I I think that what you talked about is, you know, what you, the way you summarized is exactly what I think. Um, it is a process. So, you know, figuring out where to go right now, I feel great about what I'm doing. I think, um, ECP is fabulous. I hope, um, ECP continues to grow um, and do great things. Well, that that seems like a really good place to to leave it off. How can people find more of your work? How can they connect with you? Any social media you would direct them to to have positive interactions on? (laughs) Yeah, you know... um... Sure. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm I, I'm moderating the what the things I do say on Facebook now because I mean, um, I'm wondering, you know, what what do people who are um, I, I focus so much on focus so much on other vegans, you know, what do my friends who are non-vegans think? So, I mean, those things are important. Yeah. So I'm on Facebook, um, Ramaganesan on Facebook. Um, I'm Ramaganesan on Medium. Um, yeah. So I guess those are the two main places. I that's 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 pretty much where I am as far as social media is concerned of course i'm a i'm a humane educator so if anybody is a school teacher and around here so <laughs> but I mean, yeah not just to me of course anybody who is any any humane educator would be um fabulous to um, have in your classroom yeah and what was the uh if people want to learn more about the ethical choices program was there a website i know you mentioned something earlier in the program but what's that one yeah, more time yeah, yeah. It's, it's called um ethical choices yeah it's called ethicalchoicesprogram.org org. All right. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, and really I, I'm, and I'm right. I'm right there too. So yeah, you can see me there. You can contact me too. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Paul and Andy. Nice talking with you. So we hope you enjoyed that interview with Ramaga Nason, and that Andy, my my dear Andy, concludes our winter break interview series with a couple great classic interviews, Rama and Dumi. And we hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you had a wonderful year and thank you for, you know, thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support you've given us. And anytime that you've emailed us in with questions or you've emailed us in to, to critique us about something or to, to give us a counterpoint, you know, we appreciate all of the feedback. And, and if you don't give any feedback, if you just like to listen, like we appreciate that, just as much so so thank you to everyone whatever whatever it is that you're doing that led you to to this exact moment thank you thank you for being here yeah and so now that we're in the new year paul that means next episode it's gonna be fresh hot brand new content 
us talking to each other about something serious. Um, I, you know, it's a month away, but I already, we have some ideas for this new year that I'm really excited to try out. So uh, really excited to talk with you again in a month because I I know that I'm going to miss this in like a week for as much as like all of this Mm -hmm. is an immense amount of work. Whenever we don't record for even like two weeks, I'm just like I'm itching to record and, and talk with yeah. you and to create something new. So uh, I'm really excited for the things that we have planned for 2019. Yeah, really excited to to finally turn it into a just a escape room review podcast. Oh, whoops. I wasn't supposed to reveal that. Oh, Sorry. damn it. Well, I'll, I'll put that out in the bloopers. <laughs> Uh, the the thing that i'm most excited for in 2019 is you you mentioned your resolution to me which is to just say the following seven words we are the bearded vegans signing off And that's the first resolution that's ever been fulfilled. (laughs) In today's episode, we conclude our winter break interview series with a classic interview from the archives as we bring back, I'm going to say that better. Yeah, definitely. If if this was an academic paper, Andy, I don't know how many academic papers you've read, but they always say like, if you go, if you're going to buy a paper, it says this paper was cited. 500 times or something like that this interview would be the one that was cited the most <laughs> yes that was a long a long roundabout way to make a not very good analogy well uh i'm just gonna have to go ahead and believe you paul because <laughs> 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 in my head i was like i've read academic papers and then when you describe that i was like i guess i have not read an academic paper <laughs> well i guess maybe if you're searching for it this, this doesn't matter this doesn't matter this is <laughs> this is unimportant all right i'll probably throw that one in the bloopers <laughs> So check to check, check, check to check it out, as the Beastie Boys once said. Welcome to 2019. <laughs> Paul's making bad jokes still. <laughs> What's up, Beardos? You're listening to a classic episode. To a classic episode? Thank you, Andy. Do you want me to say the? <laughs> no. All right, don't, no fooling around here. <laughs> What's up, Beardos? You're listening to... <laughs> Andy's typing in the document. What's up, Beardos? You're listening... <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't do anything that time. I'm just laughing. What's up, Beardos? You're listening to a classic episode. <laughs> now he's typing in the thing again. All okay. right. All right. Jokester. <laughs> you change it to a third vegan. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. What's up, Beardos? What's up, Beardos? You're listening to. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> okay. I can't look at you through Skype. What's up, Beardos? You're listening to a classic episode of The Bearded Vegans. I wasn't able to throw you off by adding those question marks in at the end. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay. So with that said, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Ramag and Nason, and we will have an interview and then a discussion about the question, is nonviolent communication effective vegan activism? Hey, it's Paul here from the Bearded Vegans. <laughs> uh, we're just taking a quick break to tell you about the Commentist. T H E C O M M E N T I S T dot com. Dot com. That's the one. Dot com. What can you find there, Paul? Um, you can find a lot of great podcasts. We got, of, of course, the Bearded Vegans. So you can stream our, our episodes there if, if, for whatever reason, they are not on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, 
you can stream our episodes. You can leave comments and and uh, comments on there. Um, you can listen to the other. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me you can leave comments and, and comments? comments? <laughs> it's <laughs> the only thing you can do there. <laughs> you can listen to a lot of the other great shows. Um, there's World to Hit. That's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. There's there's Kiss the Crest. That's a soccer podcast. There's the Unwind, that's a technology podcast, and we're adding a couple new ones, so check it out. Keep going on there. You can leave comments. <laughs> <laughs> Thecommentist.com, the place for comments. All right, let's get back to the show. Mm-hmm.